Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jamie Adams, and welcome to the Brainwaves Awards 2018. On this special podcast, Ian McAllister, Samuel Maggs, and myself will be announcing our picks of our favourite tabletop games in a variety of categories. But first, we would like to extend our most gracious thanks to you, dear listener, and all the listeners and subscribers that have supported us this far. We're all incredibly fortunate to have come this far, and it's all down to you. So sincerely, thank you very much. Now, we're not at the forefront of new releases, so most of our awards here tonight will eschew the quote-unquote new hotness, and will generally focus on games released between now and the latter part of 2017. And our first category is... Best Short Game. Best Game Under 30 Minutes. Well, my nomination, Sam, is Carta Impera Victoria from Ludonaut. This is a fantastic little civ building game. I picked up at Expo this year, played it quite a bit. You guys have played it with me as well. I think it's a really excellent little um, civilization style building game uh, with set collection and lots of little powers that you can uh, put together. It's a lovely little package, a, a lovely sort of tarot sized cards little metal coin in there as well to track various things in the game and just a really well put together package that you can get for like 10 to 15 quid and it's going to play in 30 minutes fantastic good job guys my nomination is tank chess from dragon lazovich this is on a chess like board which but much extended and instead of chess pieces you have different types of tanks plays very similar with players taking turns and the aim of the game is to either get your command tank to the other side of the board or destroy your opponent's command tank it takes what people know about chess, puts an interesting little spin on it, and I've quite enjoyed its um, strategic depths. And my nomination is Layers from Happy Boabab. This is a nice, fun, fast little party game for for two to four people. Each player has a number of coloured, plasticised cardboard squares that each have different holes and shapes cut out of them, and then... Beginning of each round, someone reveals a card that has a a pattern on it, and it is your job using your layers of plasticky cardboard to create and recreate that that pattern. Whoever gets closest, fastest, wins the points. Super super quick game. If we're talking about time lengths, you know, a game of this will literally last thirty seconds per round, and then you can just play as much as you want. Really, yeah, it's a good fun game. We put this category in because basically we'd like to draw attention to the fact that you don't need to play hour-long epics to be a board gamer, to be a tabletop gamer. There's lots of cool little short games out there that don't break the bank. You can go and get, and these are some of our favourites from this year, and we'll be highlighting more of those over the course of 2019. Wonderful, thank you, Ian. And the next category is... Best Rulebook. And the nominations are... Yeah, so my nomination is for uh, Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. This is the best example yet, I think, of FFG's two rulebook policy. That's where they have a learn-to-play guide and then like a rules reference where you can dig into the rules in a little bit more in-depth way and look up things as you go. Early efforts at this were not quite as good, uh, but they've refined the technique over the course of the last year or so, and this really is the best example yet. Although the game isn't quite grabbing me yet, I'm hoping to get some more games in this year, the rulebook is a great example of this this kind of uh, explanation. I'm going to throw a little spanner in the works here, and I'm going to nominate for best rulebook Blades in the Dark, uh, core rulebook from John Harper and Evil Hat Productions. 
Blades in the Dark is a role-playing game where you play as criminal gangs in the city of Duskwall, heavily inspired by the Dishonored video games, the Lies of Locke Lamora, and Bloodborne video games. Uh, the source book itself is wonderfully thematic. Every kind of page is just dripping with character. There's wonderful descriptions of character generation and the city itself. And it's a book that I just enjoy reading for pleasure, not just for I'm looking up rules. Again, mine's kind of a bit of a um, bit of an odd one here, and my nomination is Fog of Love, S- but not really going on the rule book, just going on the the rules system, the way it teaches you the game and the way you learn the game straight out of the box. It uses a really good put together deck of cards as a tutorial to kind of walk you through the game instead of just giving you a rule book and telling you to read that straight out of the box. It says. Well, once you open it, we're just going to play. And throughout that first game, we're going to teach you the rules and get you into it. And I'd say in my whole course of owning Fog of Love, I've probably gone to the rulebook like twice for a few things that I didn't really pick up on from that initial tutorial. And I don't feel the rulebook really gives you much more information than the tutorial gives you, which is absolutely brilliant. I think more things need to kind of... Just give you an experience straight out of the box instead of saying, well, first of all, you have to go away and kind of get your head around things for an hour and a half. Um, yeah, really good stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sam. I really like that idea that we've seen in a couple of games this year of sort of introducing a sort of tutorial mode almost to games, much like you get in, I mean, not quite as much nowadays, but like you used to get in a lot of computer games, you'd get like a demo or a tutorial mode that would sort of teach you through the game. And I'd like to see a lot more of that in games. And yeah, Jamie, I'm totally with your nomination for Blades in the Dark. It's a fantastic book that I just enjoyed reading, which really helped me absorb the rules because it was so well written and so well laid out. And I especially like in that rule book, the here are your responsibilities as GM and here are your responsibilities as a player parts that a lot of role-playing games miss out because teaching that stuff to new players is actually quite difficult. I really agree with what you said, Ian, about Fantasy Flight's two rulebook policy they're kind of coming out with. One that teaches you the game and then one that is just, well, literally calls it a a rules reference, which is the one you will then just go back to every time you need to look up a rule. I think an an odd move I I know that you're a bit annoyed about, but I think it's good for the planet that they didn't include the rules reference with um, Keyforge recently. That actually you just get in in the core box anyway, you just get a very simple kind of four page here's the game yeah i mean i've come kind of come around to your way of thinking that i do think it's a massive oversight to not include the rules and then also not include a rules link in the app yeah no i think that's the biggest thing there i am 100 percent with you as someone who has only learned the game of keyforge through playing with you guys i then had to go back and read the rules so i had a firmer understanding of what to do but of course keyforge is not nominated uh the three that we have here were and well done to all them yes that was great and now on to the next category best original screenplay an award for stories in tabletop gaming well, my nomination, to no one's surprise, is going to be the Arkham Horror LCG from FFG. The designers are still knocking it out of the park story-wise for uh, the Arkham Horror LCG. I finished the Path to Carcosa campaign this year, and it was absolutely fantastic the way they handled the sort of doubt and conviction in that in that game, actually making you 
really question what was going on in the narrative. I'm only about a th- halfway through The Forgotten Age. It's a lot more pulpy story, but it is nice to see them tackling different sort of Cthulhu stories through the card game. And I'm still absolutely loving that game. The story the, and the emergent narrative in those games is just absolutely fantastic. I'm going to go second because I agree with you, Ian. My nomination as well is um, Arkham Horror LCG with... Really, we're talking about the Path of Carcosa cycle, I feel, for the most part this year. Obviously, Forgotten Age has now just about completed, almost. Yeah, the last pack just came out. And um, I haven't actually played any of that yet because I like to kind of wait until they're all there so I can blitz through it in just a couple of sessions. But what I really, really enjoy about this um, is just the interactivity in story, in in just the interactivity in the story elements. That it's not a game that kind of presents you with a story; it's a game that presents you with a story and choices. Yeah. And at first, you don't know how much those choices are going to matter, but then they play some really nice things throughout it. Um, for example, as you were saying, the doubt and conviction stuff. There's a dream sequence that happens halfway through Carcosa, um, outside of gameplay it's kind of between scenarios that you get this sudden huge branching paths where it goes back through all of your decisions up until this point and sends you on loads of different tangents which came to me as a complete surprise obviously playing it first time and something that really grabbed me just thinking this is this is really good for gaming like this is just brilliant um yeah jamie Again, I'm going to throw a small spanner into the works here, and I'm going to nominate Fog of Love by Hush Hush Projects. The story of Fog of Love develops organically between the two players. The person sitting across from you, this this relationship that you are going to create out of thin air, the decisions you make, it can lead to some wonderful discussions that aren't even related to the game, um, but will nevertheless affect things deeply throughout the relationship. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful game and with wonder, wonderful stories that I still go back to and laugh about with friends. Yeah, I, th- I think it's one of those ones that I, I was talking in Arkham Horror about the-, the story elements being interactive and really trying to get the players to lead on the story as much as possible. But obviously that has a set story to it. It has a, a definitive start middle and end point you know whereas i really what i really love about fog of love is it it gives you the start of that and it hands it over to the players to kind of say embellish this as much as you want you know it it gives you some pointers in the cards like saying you're at ikea but then it does encourage you to kind of grab that a bit more and role play it and come up with those stories true but i think you know when you're playing fog of love you're playing a scenario and it will have a beginning, several middles, and an end. So yeah. it will, it'll be, there's the beginning scenario, and then the first part of it is up to you. And then there's the second the second yeah. kind of card, second part of the game. Okay, and then it goes a bit wide again, then it goes to the third, and then it goes wide again. So that, there's such a, a play, a, a ability to play in between. I just mean those beginning, middle, and ends are a lot more loosely connected than like, like the storyline in Arkham Horror is, is, in a sense it's not but in a sense quite linear and very much connected whereas in fog of love it kind of just gives you here's a key event that happens just halfway through the game you know um but anything out of that is just up to you and i really really like that well said now moving on to best adapted screenplay 
the best game adapted from an established intellectual property. Well, I'll go first because my nomination is a little bit of a cop-out. It's not really a franchise tie-in as such, but it's heavily inspired by the Sword and Sandals films of the past, Gladi- uh, Gladiator, Spartacus, that kind of thing. My nomination is Gladiator's Blood for Roses from Bad Cat Games, a uh, game of managing gladiators and gambling on the arena and also fighting in the arena. Great little game that's going to be coming out next year. One to watch. My nomination is Battle for Rokugan from Fantasy Flight Games. The game uses the Legend of the Five Rings intellectual property, which until fairly recently was held by AEG and was originally a a card game and role-playing game uh, designed by John Wick. The game interestingly simulates the the struggles and the political struggles and the military struggles between the great clans of Rokugan in the game setting. and, And in the game, you're putting down tiles in various provinces on whether you want troops to attack retreat or maybe even bluffs is a very nice elegant bluff and counter bluff there um which is kind of spilled out into a lot more games that i really like so battle for rokugan is my nomination and i i hate to always be the ffg guy but this isn't the last last time it's going to come up this show (laughs) it also feels like i'm just selling out to like hollywood by saying this as well. It's X-Wing 2.0. X-Wing was a game that I loved when it first came out. I think it really did capture that dogfighting feel. It's quick. It was about maneuvering things and flying ships around the board. And who doesn't want to fly some spaceships? Um, and then it got very heavy and uh, and it wasn't nice to play. And then it came back with a load more nice new things. And I liked it a lot. I've spoken about it a lot in the past. Um, I like it. It's good fun. Yeah, I mean, it, I've played it in the past as well. It's a good fun game. Don't get me wrong, but I, I won't buy into it again because, my God, that's a lot of money to pay into it. But yeah, it's a good game and it, it definitely needed the reboot. So fair play to them. Thank you for that, guys. And now, moving on to... Best Production. Or this is the most overproduced game, which was a suggestion from Richard Simpson from We're Not Wizards. Well, my nomination is going to be the biggest miniature game this year, and I do mean that literally with Cthulhu Death May Die, which had a miniature in it that doesn't really warrant the name since it was the size of a small toddler, or even a large toddler, quite frankly. Totally overproduced Simon game. It's going to be coming out in like two years' time, but it is a game that had a lot of chat about it this year. And as we all know, I'm basically fed up with miniatures games. Just, just stop it. Just, just stop it. I'm going to take a slightly different tack from Ian in that I don't, I sometimes believe overproduced is too pejorative. And I think a game that has had so much love done to it, um, you can just feel it from the moment you open the box. And my nomination is Dinosaur Island from Pandasaurus Games. Worker placement game heavily in the style of Jurassic Park, where everyone operates their own theme park, where you take DNA and you make your own dinosaurs and get everyone to come and see them. And maybe your security system will trip up and dinosaurs will come out and eat your visitors. And the game is soaked in late 80s, early 90s nostalgia. The vibrant colours on the board and the box. The chunky feel of the dice. The kind of day glow pink and yellow and blue. It's just wonderful to look at. It's, you know, got a lot, it's got a big table presence. But it's a game, I think, that you can tell so much love has gone into it. And it shows. And it's a good game as well, which is always a good bonus. I'm agreeing with Jamie here, where I think that kind of overproducing sometimes can really just help embellish a game. And it's 
makes a really nice experience. And my nomination is My Little Scythe from Stonemaier Games. Everything about this game is just produced to the max, really. The gemstones you pick up are really chunky blue gemstones. All your characters are really nicely sculptured. Again, chunk quite chunky miniatures, really good quality stuff, great quality cards, great quality uh, custom dice you get in there. You get this like pie tracker thing, which is like a spinning pie. Really nice big board, great artwork, great visual style. And I think it's one of those times where actually lots of really high quality components, which lately we've kind of been talking about. Maybe companies don't need to spend so much money on big quality components you know especially in ian's case talking about miniatures and just maybe include cardboard standees and things like that to bring the price of your game down because they look fine you know but sometimes things can actually work really well and be really nice and just add to your experience and i completely got that with my little side it was very nice yeah i mean i agree with you guys like when you can actually see like there's love being poured into that that's fine but i, ju- I do think with a lot of games that are just like the big mini kickstars that we all know what i'm talking it's about it's for the sake of putting lots of miniatures in yeah it? exactly it's for the sake of putting a lot of miniatures in there there's no real consideration or love being poured into that i mean there's some talented sculptors that kind of thing in there absolutely but there's no real thought behind it it's just we're going to put miniatures in this game because yeah. I, I will think... i will bat for the miniature side and go i think there's a lot of love for a lot of the sculpts for the miniatures the 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 talent the talent of the sculptors is evident and you know what the various poses that they've got for various uh, creatures fantastic the individual sculptors yeah i've got no problem with them that that they're being asked to do a job and they're doing it extremely well but should they be asked to do that job at all? Should there be a different consideration of the way that game is put together? That's that's what I'm getting at. Well, it's making the money. I'd really like to know how much of how much of that ethos or that thought process for people backing these big miniature count games is that well, it's got a high price tag on it. It comes with all the stuff, so it's got to be good, right? You know. Um, which definitely isn't the case. And we've seen that a lot with these big games that come out where people just play them and it's like, ah, this isn't great. Some interesting thoughts there. Now, moving on swiftly. Best visual effects. Our category for art. Well, my nomination is going to be Champion of the Wild from Big Imagination Games. This is a game I got a chance to preview earlier in the year, went to Kickstarter very successfully, and it's a lovely little game about basically doing challenges with different animals and arguing with your friends about why an ostrich would be great at basketball over a dolphin being great at basketball and that kind of thing. And there's lovely little art on all the cards, like so like there's a art of like staring contest card with like a bear staring at a penguin and things like that just lovely evocative art for each of the olympic events that your animals will be competing in and yeah just a fantastic looking game my nomination is holding on the troubled life of billy care from hub games now i got the chance to play this uh, a little bit and preview it at the uk games expo this year one of the few game, the one of the few new games that i got to play uh, this entire year and I was struck immediately by the not only the game's visual art, but it as as a piece of art in itself. That it's you're telling a story through your interactions with this character, Billy. Um, the deck of cards is his fragmented and completed memories. The art in them is this lovely kind of pastel 
work to it it's just enough that gives you the, the ethos the flavor of the situation and can evoke some wonderful feelings and considering you spend a lot of time staring sometimes at these partial memories where only the character of billy is defined you start going oh what is that you know what does it look like oh and only through his stance do you see what it is but it looks gorgeous i think the outside of the the visual art i think it's a very slickly produced game things that have to do with the hospital looking very clinical and sterile and works very nicely with that kind of um what's the word comparison with with the kind of the arty more style of the memories so yeah big thumbs up for me it's me again mr fantasy flight (laughs) (laughs) i thought a long time about what i wanted this to be i was thinking about root really came up i really like that visual visual style so a late nomination for root there but i went with keyforge in the end just the amount of art in that game it's all new art that's another thing i wanted to say arkham horror lcg because it's got some really good stuff but a lot of it is recycled just arkham files art from fantasy flight that's been used in countless games and keyforge is what like 400 new pieces of art and it's all really really good really there's not a single piece of artwork at the moment where i'm thinking that's not up to the standard of others which i get which i feel a lot with card games you know that actually sometimes a piece of art sticks out and just thinking oh that doesn't that's not in style with everything else or that isn't up to scratch and Keyforge just looks great at the moment. Really, really nice. I'd agree with Keyforge as well, Sam. It also looks quite coherent across the different houses. There's quite a sort of yeah. coherent style right, right across it, which I really like and really enjoy. It, it. I'm reminded. I'm reminded strongly of the Pokemon, uh, the Pokemon trading card game when it first came out, and there was all these kind of disparate pieces of art. You know, you'd see, um, and they'd all look very different and very interesting. And then slowly, you can see that one particular art style of the main artist Ken Sujimori suddenly becomes the the de facto and things kind of slip into line which is a shame because you do lose some of this wonderful divergence of style but there's some there's been some really great artwork out there this year i know like um mine specifically was a bit more kind of character art but in terms of things like root that's just kind of like a visual style you know of the of the game so there's some some really nice productions going on yeah lately. i think i think publishers are more willing to take a risk on art style now to try and stand out from the crowd because there's so many games out there so we're seeing yeah. a lot more a lot more artists being brought into the board gaming world and uh, bringing their own style with them and it's really good to see uh, if you want to check out a lot of really cool art uh, you should check out more games please our friend ross uh, friend of the show uh he has a whole blog dedicated to board game artists and interviewing them uh, we'll put a link in the show notes wonderful there now moving on to most innovative product well my nomination is going to be one of the only new games i played this year and that is ruthless from roland's revenge which is published by alley cat games in this country and this is a deck builder wait my story gets better it's a really it's a really interesting take on the deck builder with lots of really innovative little mechanics chucked in there a lot of mishmashing of other sort of styles of game it's a lot more it's a lot more combative than a lot of deck builders it feels like to be a lot more player interaction and 
immediately after I played, I could see different paths to victory and different ways, different ways I could do things. And I felt really invested in that game and the sort the sort of little pirate crew I had together. So it's a really good game. Check it out. It's available now from Alley Cat Games and the art as well. It almost made my art art nomination because the art is absolutely fantastic. I am going to suggest Fog of Love from Hush Hush Project. Second time for me. Um, it's a statement that's been echoed through Shut Up and Sit Down's review, the Dice Tower possibly. It's been echoed throughout a lot of reviewers, but the game is mature without being adult, if that makes sense. And then it deals it deals with it deals with frivolous and serious subjects in quite a, an interesting way. You know, the joke went, "Oh, you're going to IKEA. How do you deal with that? Or which way do you leave the toilet seat up?" And then it comes to other important things. Like, you know, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Do you see yourself with the other person still there? Or do we have kids? Do we not? And it'll allow that organic relationship that I talked about a little bit earlier to, I think, to grow even more. And I think, especially with what Sam said earlier with regarding rulebooks, the tutorial that is built into the first scenario of the game really eases you into that. And it makes you go, okay, well, I know what I'm doing now. You know, it's, it's, it, things are easier for you. You know, same with Sam. I didn't have to check the rulebook for a very long time before I was looking at particular rules. It's a game that I have laughed, I have felt sad at. I think it's definitely unlike anything I've played before and I cannot wait for the new expansions. Mine's another a fantasy flight game. Um, Never. How unexpected. One of my favourite gaming things this year, we've spoken about it so much, is the Arkham Horror LCG. Um, it just takes you to so many different places, and my favourite place that took me this year was the Labyrinths of Lunacy expansion they bought out. A standalone set, which is a bit um, unusual for them, in a sense. And it had the ability to be played with 12 people, three groups at a time, which I didn't do, but I've seen a few um, reviews of, and it sounds like that works really well. Two of us sat down and just played through one of the ex- one of the um, scenarios initially, and it was really, really good on theme. Like, just straight away, the situation we were put in, we were smiling because it's like this is a card game, and it's getting this across really well. And I want to talk about it, but I don't want to spoil things. And that I think even more plays to its strengths that actually this is a card game that you want to talk about but then you want to make sure that you can talk about it if someone is there who plays it and doesn't want you to talk about it and i think that's fantastic that actually now we're getting spoilers in a card game is just brilliant yeah i mean you know i my love for the arkham horror lcg i have not played labyrinths of lunacy yet but i'm really looking forward to when i can and that's a particular scenario can be played in a mode where you have three tables playing through three different scenarios that all affect each other and I really want to play that. And it's meant that to be good. Like, yeah, it's meant to be very oh. good. I, I've heard nothing but good things about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's worth noting, especially for kind of ca- uh, innovative category, that we've singled out a couple of very specific ones here. But this board games don't always have to redo the wheel. You know, it is it is okay to have some really solid mechanics that have that maybe done before, maybe a slight variation on it, but these have just kind of pushed it in such a different way that it's just this noticeable shift that we'll probably see repercussions of, or not repercussions, ripples of, um, for the next couple of years. Yeah, like Ruthless, for, in- Ruthless, for instance, is an iteration on deck building, certainly, but it's a really good deck builder, So, and it's got a good theme that you could introduce people to. Uh, 
introduce people to the hobby with and it's okay for games to iterate a bit and not be like absolutely more breaking every single year we're not going to see the legacy mechanic every year we're not going to see like something that really changes the industry every year it's okay for games to just iterate a bit that's fine as long as the hobby keeps growing there's no problems there yeah i really thought about putting keyforge there obviously you, you know it's one of if we're talking about innovation it's something that is doing something we haven't seen in the whole unique deck thing and from what we've played so far i've played quite a bit of it and it seems like it's doing that really well but to me it just felt that that's the only thing it innovates on in a sense that at the end of the day when you actually play the game it's a card game that i've played a million times in a sense you know i've played it when i played magic i've played it when i played game of thrones lcg all of those things whereas i felt like arkham horror I'm playing something that I've never played before. Lovely. Now we're moving on to... Best Director. The award for Best Publisher. My nomination is a local company called One Free Elephant. They came to my playtest group a couple of years back with their first game, Awesome, and we helped develop that. And they put that out to kick, uh, on Kickstarter to some success. They have since they have since Car- Kickstarter Carcosa, uh, which is a sort of Carcassonne style game, but set in the sort of fantastical world of Carcosa. And earlier this year, they also kickstarted Microbrew which is a pocket-sized game about making a beer, which is a really good little worker placement game that I reviewed on the site earlier in the year. And they have just run fantastic Kickstarter campaigns, very well managed, lots of great communication, and I expect big things from them in the future. They're definitely one to watch. My nomination is Facade Games. Facade Games have brought out three games in their Dark Cities series. Salem 1692, Tortuga 1667, and very recently, Deadwood 1876. Their publishing gimmick is to put their games inside uh, the box that looks like a book. And I'll refer to a time and place. And the games, I've... I backed Tortuga 1667 and Deadwood 1876 on Kickstarter, uh, for, for full disclosure. And I have got both, and very much enjoy both. I've played a lot more of Tortuga. But I think it's a really nice hidden role kind of party game with a bit of social deduction in there. And you can just have a lot of fun just yelling at each other that they are sneaky French or sneaky British or even just nicely neutral Dutch. We hate them. But I am looking forward to what Facade puts out in the near future. I'll be watching them with a great deal of anticipation. And finally with me, it's no surprise at all... No, it's Fantasy Flight Games. They've just been doing some really good stuff. They get a lot of hate, we feel, here at the show for some reason. And and I think it's because they are the Hollywood of gaming, really. They're the big boys. But they're making really good games. And they've got great production value. They use all original art, you know. They use... Oh, it's just good stuff, you know. And actually, when we talk about like what we're loving in games right now, we're all loving story-driven games. And they're doing really good story-driven games. None of us have really played a competitive card game for a while. And we are, again, because they're doing something interesting with that format. And, hey, it's just good stuff. And they've got Star Wars license, and I'm a sucker for anything with stars written on it. There you go. Um. Yeah, I mean, Fantasy Flight, yeah, they do get a lot of hate because because they're a big boy, because they're a big publisher. But 
they yeah they've really been knocking it out of the park in the last couple of years they've been really great in diversity um showing diversity in their products and netrunner and arkham and stuff like that the the cast of characters is absolutely fantastic their rules have got progressively better for the most part and yet they're using that that size and that power to actually do interesting things rather than just produce the same old same old which is really good to see they're not yeah. they're not just treading water they are actually trying to produce new and interesting things some of those things will fail but that's okay yeah and i i think they are and I, I I suppose it's because they've got the money too, but we've seen them taking some risks that haven't worked. Yeah, and that's good. Yeah, yeah. it's good to. I think it's always good as as critics as as we are to celebrate bold failure is a really good thing to celebrate because yeah. we shouldn't always just celebrate success. We should point out the things that are really cool. Didn't quite get there, but are still really cool and will have impact on the industry all the same. I'm sure, Rune Wars miniatures came's great. I'm sure, I'm sure it's great. <laughs> Maybe not the best example. Thanks for that, guys. Now, moving on to... Best game we played this year that wasn't released this year. So, one thing to say up the front of this category, this is basically our best game category for the year, but we are not really the sort of show that gets a lot of Pre- review copies and preview copies of their new hotness we just don't we're not in with uh, we're not in with asmonday or any of the big publishers like that so we just don't get sent those kind of review copies so a lot of the games we play are basically paid out of our own pocket yeah we do some previews for smaller companies on kickstarter and that kind of thing but we just wanted to highlight the things that we've played this year that we've really enjoyed that aren't necessarily the new thing and sort of to emphasize the fact that you don't need to be buying all the new games that come out there's so there's estimate to be something like 5,000 games released this year, which is just a ridiculous number. You don't need to be buying all those. There are lo- lots of games that are classic games, really well-regarded games that people will recommend to you if you're getting into the hobby. And generally, you're going to find that they are not the new thing that's just been released. So, without further ado, my nomination is going to be a Gloomhaven that has been released several times over the last three or four years. I can't remember exactly when the first release was, but Gloomhaven I've been enjoying an awful lot. It is a game that requires a lot of commitment in time and money. I'll say that up front. It's about 120 quid or so, 100, 120 quid you can get it for. Um, And it is a huge campaign game, but there's a world in that box and that's one guy's vision. And it's just an impressive game producing lots of cool, uh, cool scenarios, cool story and really cool combat. And yeah, it's just a great game. Really enjoying it. My nomination is Photosynthesis by Blue Orange Games. Now, when I heard about this last year, I wouldn't shut up talking about it. I annoyed my girlfriend, my friends, anyone who would bother to listen to me. I was like, what games are you looking for? I would say Photosynthesis. And I finally got it at the end of last year. I really, really loved this game. First of all, visually, it's a stunning game. It's distinct. Um... It's also environmental, it's used with recyclable cardboard, and it leaves you in no doubt the state of the game, and it's got a wonderful table presence. Also coupled with that is this wonderfully cutthroat, uh, almost abstract strategy game, where between two and four sets of trees enter and one set of tree leaves. It is ultimate arboreal combat. I'm not going to talk about a fantasy flight game. I'm not going to do it. Who are you and what have you done with Sam? I've spoken too much about those. Um, I'm going to play. I'm going to talk about a game that I played once. And since I played that, I just want to play it more. Azul from Plan B Games. 
a game that came out last year, got a lot of praise last year, was one of the hotness games of last year, especially around Gen Con. Won the Spiel des Jahres this year. Won a Spiel des Jahres. Doesn't get more hotness than that. I just like anything with a puzzle element, really. Um, and Azul gives that to you in a really nice, tactile, high production quality, interesting way. We only played it two-player, which seemed... Even though I hadn't played it with any other player counts, two player seemed like it would be very different. Um, and I still greatly enjoyed it there. Um, very pretty game, really nice. Just, oh, it was it was really good. It was really nice and I want it and I want to play it again. And that's another game that actually, to be honest, if, if you can get your hands on it, get it because it comes and goes out of stock very quickly, it seems. It's just had a um, an expansion. Or was it a, more, is it, more sort of... Standalone sequel, yeah. Standalone sequel, yeah. It's just had a standalone sequel. Um, the name of it escapes me. It's Azul, then sponsored. Then that's full. That's of Sintra. There you go. Um, yeah, check it out. And and as Ian was saying, you know that you don't have to play what's hot right now because what's hot right now. We we were weighing this up on on a previous cast. You know how much is that going to be played? two or three months down the line, really, that actually maybe your best bet is to look at something that came out five years ago that people are still talking about, you know, because they're the games that I think are going to be around for a long time. Yeah, I mean, whenever I introduce people to the hobby, it's not with a new hotness, it's with a game that's been in my collection for three, four years and I still enjoy playing because I know how to play it, I know how to teach it, and I know that it consistently produces fun. Azul, I've taken to uh, the Juniper Green Board Game Club that I go to uh, every couple of Fridays, families kids all enjoying it a lot really good game and it's very very easy to explain it's one of those easy to explain hard to master games which has got that 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 really nice thing about it thank you and finally the best game that doesn't exist so my nomination for this game is the inevitable, the absolutely is going to happen, Eldritch Horror 2nd Edition. We've just had Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. I'm a big fan of Eldritch Horror, the sort of previous incarnation of Arkham Horror. And I I think Eldritch Horror 2nd Edition is absolutely inevitable. It will, of course, include legacy mechanics and unique things because that's just what it's going to be. And probably an app integration as well. Who knows? My nomination for the best game that doesn't exist is Flicky Souls. It's bringing together two of the great ideas we have recently, and that is Dexterity Flicking Games and the World of Dark Souls. Of course, it will include foam versions of the Asylum Demon, Great Wolf Sif, and Gwyn, Lord of Cinder. And you'll spend, you'll take your time uh, flicking your little hollow character at them, trying to knock them down, getting out of the way of their big clearing attacks. And of course, if you die in Flicky Souls, you've got to tear it up and get a new counter. So does that come to Kickstarter early next year to be delivered in like 2022 for £100? Have you been reading my press statement? I have. Excited for it though, it looks good. My nomination for best game that doesn't exist is Sushi Go Legacy, the unique deck game. Um, I think it's the game for me. I I would bet money that I would I would win this game straight up. I'm the sushi pro. We've we've already established this. You're sushi podcast. pro, sushi go. <laughs> Listeners, here is a challenge. If you meet Sam at a convention or such like and you happen to find a copy of Sushi Go, challenge him to a game. I probably won't win. I'm I'm all right at it. I'm pretty good at Sushi Go, you, but your prize winning will be Sam's soul. Yeah. 
Um, Sushi Go Legacy, it's going to happen. All the games will get a legacy. So it's the unique deck bit is that each copy of it is going to be unique as yes. well as being legacy. Yes, it is. So they cool. will all follow a unique story. Everything about it will be different. Copyrighted Giant Brain different 2018 Fantasy Fight if you're listening. Yeah. But it's going to be great. Coming coming out next year. Who knows? Probably announced. But we actually have a winner in this category. Ian, would you like to reveal the envelope? And the winner is... Can you cook what The Rock is smelling? So this is a game in which The Rock smells something. Players don't get to see what that is. The Rock describes it to you, I, I imagine, and you cook it. Yeah? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, you've got like little counters with lots of ingredients on them. You have to like put them in a thing, cook them. Otherwise, yeah, how would you be able to may- cook it? Maybe there's an app component, you know, like sort of um, the Al- oh, Alchemist's game where you have that app thing which tells you what yeah. the right ingredients are. Oh, I think there you... might be some kind of like like a Mysterium component where, where one person oh, yeah, is yeah. behind a, like a, a GM screen. And they've, so got, person... they, they, they've got a rock mask. They are yes. the rock. They're the rock. <laughs> they've got... And all little... you can see is their nose. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you as players must... No, and he, and he can give you kind of like hints via, yeah, maybe like artwork, you know, like Mysterium. Or wrestling tropes. And then you've got to figure out, because of that crazy piece of artwork, oh, what ingredient of the, on the board can that relate to? And if and you then, lose, you have to wrestle the rock. Yeah, he comes, oh, he comes to you. Oh, get it wrong. People's elbow. <sighs> Nasty. Well, gentlemen, that was quite a diverse list of entrants and of course fantasy flight we'd like to thank you very much indeed for listening dear listeners we hope you have a fantastic christmas and new year and we'll see you and you'll hear us in the new year thank you very much for listening if you like what you listen to the best way to help us out is to share the podcast around and drop us a review and rating on itunes you can also follow us on twitter at the giant brain instagram giant brain uk facebook the giant brain website giantbrain.co.uk or drop us an email at giantbrainuk at gmail.com do get in touch with us let us know if you think we were right in those categories and what your nominations would have been and if we should have different categories for next year's awards thank you very much see you next year folks